0: It's the Behind the Dish Podcast
1: with John Buck. All right. I think we are live, ready to go. Thank you, everybody, for coming in for the Anxiety and Athletes. Uh, our debut episode, we have some great guests today. I'm really excited to bring this program to to all of you at, at home and wherever you are. Uh, as always, I'm Tom Smalley, lead advocate for the IOCDF. Uh, strength and conditioning coach at Wagner College. And I'm looking forward to, for all of you to hear from our awesome guests. Um, With me tonight, uh, I have Dr. Robin Zasio. Um, Dr. Robin Zasio is a licensed clinical psychologist and licensed clinical social worker who has been specializing in treating OCD and anxiety disorders for the past 20 years utilizing frontline treatments of CBT and exposure and response prevention. She developed the anxiety treatment center of Sacramento, Roseville and El Dorado Hills. Within that rapid growth, she then developed the cognitive behavioral therapy center and the compulsive hoarding center, all located in Sacramento, California, which she currently owns and directs. She was the president of Sacramento Valley Psychological Association from 2003 to 2005, and currently serves as a board member at large. He serves on the Scientific Advisory Board, Clinical Advisory Board, and the Speakers Bureau for the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Foundation. And then as well, I have my friend Brad here. Um, Brad, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, you're your story goes a little in depth with uh, athletics and your journey with being an author. Uh, And then we'll kind of get to John afterwards as
2: well. Thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Brad Belukchian. I'm a uh, professor of biology at Merritt College in Oakland, California. Also uh, a journalist, a freelance writer. And I have OCD, I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, That's something that I've received treatment for and manage well these days. But um, I got here because I wrote a book that came out last year called The Wax Pack, where I went and tracked down all the players in a pack of baseball cards from 1986. And in that book, I talk about what happens to Major League Baseball players when they're done playing. I also talk about my own life, my own path, my OCD. And the reason why I'm on I'm certainly not really an athlete, but uh, I can certainly relate to the anxiety part and the, the part that the, the reason why I'm here is that in writing the book, not only did I write about my own OCD, but um, I, I was amazed to realize how many baseball players um, also struggled with anxiety issues and sort of the parallels between how I went through managing my OCD and what baseball players deal with. Um, and then met up. John, uh, our other panelist, wasn't in the pack, but I uh, did a, a show with him where we talked about some of these same common interests with anxiety in sports, and so that's how we got here. That's, that is correct. <laughs> no, a, John,
1: why don't I go ahead and introduce yourself? We have with us today, very special guest, John Buck, uh, former MLB All-Star, and we're, we're excited to have him here.
3: Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, having all the letters behind my name with as Brad and Robin and even yourself, Tom, I feel like high school educated. You hear that, that pause afterwards? That's about, <laughs> it. That's about it. But uh, um, I did grow up in a family. Uh, my dad was a PA, one of the first class PA at the University of Utah, um, had a brother who had um, bipolar Um, Also had some which I as I start to dive into this Which is why my real passion piece had some behavioral issues just because I think head trauma If you know us bucks around here in Utah, we're we're known to lay the head Uh, but also um, with alcohol and and addiction with my mom behavioral Mm -hmm. things again Uh, and then also having history of hoarding in the family all all these things that you're saying had real life experiences with those but then also on my own end which I think as I gathered through a head injury um, had some of my own anxiety manifest and also had anxiety that was manifesting in my own arenas of life outside of just the game never happened then it happened on the field that it occurred because of my dyslexia or anxiety problems that I had that were learning dis learning disabilities uh that I think taught me in one way is to work hard, but I wouldn't see it as a plus in my life. You know what I mean? Uh, it was definitely a hindrance. It made things, although def- definitely harder and there's benefits from it, I wouldn't say it's a plus. You know, And I think that was because I, I was in that 1% athletes that learns how to do that, that where it gets misconstrued that it's, oh, I use it to my advantage. Well, I think that's just their verbal blah, blah, blah that comes up. It's not. It's if you live with it, right, Brad? <laughs> if yeah. you're not. You're not. It's, it's to feel like you got to throw the ball back to the pitcher. <laughs> gotta throw it back, it, or read in front of the class, or, or those things that uh, manifest me. I got super interested because that was my own experience. I gained that confidence through athleticism, and then have it re re manifest later, and then now be dad, and I see this cesspool for obsessive compulsive behaviors that are either there on nervousness when those kids, cause they're at the developing stage of that brain. It's so soft mm-hmm. at eight and we're throwing them in these travel ball scenarios with high intensity, getting their alpha brain up like they're up there. And then they scream at them. And I, and mm-hmm. I'm seeing these cesspool of these areas to create, you know, all these things, these scenarios of, of anxiety or, ocd or a a little league version of of, you know uh post-traumatic stress syndrome so what brought me to brad because his interest in those people in those ways and then got to knowing him um as i do this youth work that is my interest i I bring the baseball you know being a major league all-star what got me there being in the zone how to create the zone how to help my thought process from an athlete standpoint then maybe relate it from through that lens through your guys's like i said well decorated letters after your names (laughs) but Mm -hmm. but but also growing up with psychiatrists and stuff because of my brother i was able to lean into that instead of i know generally within the clubhouse i ain't talking about that flipping shrink (laughs) you know the astros are going to realize i'm something's wrong with me uh, having that stigma. So, um, mm-hmm. I le- I learned to lean into it. So, um, yeah. it's been something I've benefited from. So I Before think that's a
1: we totally jump into it. Uh, I just want to remind our viewers that this live stream is not intended to serve as a, uh, to replace therapy, um, for treatment related questions. Obviously we do have a licensed professional with us today, which is great, but let's, uh, be sure to work with your local provider and contact a local clinician, um the iocdf is not a crisis hotline um it should not be used if you are in distress um, if you have an emergency if you are feeling unsafe uh or suicidal go to your local, local emergency room or call call 911 or call a suicide prevention hotline at 800-273-8255 um you know so as we as we jump into this I, I like what you said at the end, John, uh, about that. Worrying about, you know, the organization that you were playing for was worrying about telling them that you were having some mental health issues. Because that's such a obviously with the stigma that we're trying to, to decrease in sports uh, of the mental health stigma. So many people are not reaching out for help because they're afraid of what their employer will think of of what the organization that they're they're playing for will think. I, I see it with college athletes because those coaches are deciding their playing time. So what was your experience like finding help? And Brad and Robin, you can kind of jump in with with athletes that you've worked with and and how we kind of bridge that gap to to make sure that people are are seeking the treatment because obviously as coaches, we can't read minds, but we need to make sure that people are actually even seeking the treatment.
3: Um, Maybe I'll go first, just, just kind of keep it short, because
1: I, where I,
3: I know where I, I was able to get a hold of my anxiety on that, recognizing it, Um, I was able to recognize and lean into it for help, where I think where my brother, when he was going through it, like I said, when I went through it, my brother was having his bipolar and then also head injury, which I think was heavily on to his added to his his suicide, no. and then my mom more being addiction to pills and just wanting to escape. You know how that that goes. I feel like um, I was aware when I started spiral to where I could I would learned to lean and go to that because I think what where my brain couldn't take the stress. It was taking baseball, and then when I had those extra head injuries, and the simplest thing, it was like it was like back to the pitcher. And the only same feeling I could feel was when I was, th- when I would, when I was dyslexic reading. I just read different. It was I would memorize it, which paragraph, because I couldn't read when the class got to me. So I'd count the one, two, or five, six. All right, six. I'd go to the sixth paragraph, and sometimes I'd memorize the five, six, and the seven, because sometimes the you know. Little Susie, who reads so fast, she'd have their read too. So I had to my catch a game plan on how to do it. So my, it was so much harder to read than learn how to read without letting it, you know, my brain jumble. And it became very, it's that same feeling when I go to read that fear, that anxiety of just it was the same feeling, just to throw the ball back to the pitcher. So when I could tr- trigger and relate that, I leaned into the team therapist where I know, I, I mean, that's the thing. The Chup Knobloch to Machia to other people that I've talked about, I've been more vocal since then. It's it's that anxiety of it takes over your body in a way that it's weird. Fear does a weird thing. And mm-hmm. i and being able to understand that to the deepest level and then translate even the simplest things to little league coaches on the tee. What you're saying to that child in that zone mm-hmm. moment, you're going to either make them in the zone or derail them. Like swinging at a high pitch for a simple example. You see this time and time. The, the, uh, the daddy ball, stop swinging at that high pitch. Your brain just saw a high pitch go by rather than say, hey, what's your homer pitch? That kid's brain goes to the, you know, simple things like that. So those are tricks that Evan flowed into the way my brain felt with my mental health that I saw that it helped with the game.
0: I'll, um, <clears throat> I'll jump in and John, I, I really appreciate, um, you know, you sharing your story and your vulnerability and really, um, you know, taking us back um, to childhood because as you were talking, <clears throat> you know, in so many ways, I I don't necessarily think that it starts with talking with the coaches as getting the parents on board and helping the sure. way that is not perpetuating any ocd symptoms that they have and you know i'm always amazed and and brad i'm sure you see this too that i will have parents call in and they'll say, you know, my child has OCD and, and, you know, it's really severe, it's it's really affecting them and this, that, or whatever. And, you know, we'll talk about, you know, well, maybe the intensive program might be better serve them to kind of get a good dose of ERP. Oh, no, no, no. Well, we can't take them out of school. Like, no, no, no. As if that would be something so horrible without realizing that the further they go down this rabbit hole with the OCD and perpetuating it with trying to do better, and trying to achieve more that it's only going to get worse. And we actually brought someone into our program um, today who was in that situation where the parents said, Oh no, no, you know, we don't want to take him out of sports. We don't, you know, that would just be devastating to them. And he ended up suicidal and in the hospital and now finally he's here, but now there's so much more work to do because the OCD has, has, has gotten, you know, those, those claws into their brain so much deeper. And so, you know, we, we have to educate the parents, we have to start with the parents to help them understand that they have to be part of the solution so that when you know, you know, the, the, to, to, to be able to advocate for their child with the coach to to help the coach to understand the difference between um you know excellence versus perfectionism and <clears throat> I actually in, in preparation for today, I want to just kind of share something in talking about, you know, the pursuit of excellence versus the pursuit of perfectionism. Because um, you know, as you know, in perfectionism, they're 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 trying to hit a bar, right? And what happens is as soon as they start getting to that bar, the bar keeps moving higher because right, they're right. thinking, oh my gosh, if I'm here then maybe I can get to here,
1: right, right.
0: Exactly. And so that bark just keeps moving, moving up further. And I think when, when someone is stuck in their OCD, they don't really realize that that's what happens with perfectionistic tendencies. Um, So I just want to quickly just talk about the pursuit of excellence versus the pursuit of perfectionism. I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, The pursuit of excellence focuses on the process versus the perfectionist focuses on the outcome. Um, Pursuit of excellence, they set high standards that are flexible and they can be adjusted versus the perfectionist sets perfect standards that are inflexible, cannot be adjusted regardless of their experiences. Um, Pursuit of excellence, they're driven by motivation and the perfectionist is driven by fear. Um, Excellence can be satisfied by a range of outcomes versus the perfectionist can only be satisfied by one outcome, which is, as I mentioned, typically impossible. Um, Pursuit of excellence, they view mistakes as learning opportunities versus the perfectionist views mistakes as unacceptable um and then pursuit of excellence um bases his or her self-evaluation on many characteristics accomplishments and values versus the perfectionist they're primarily looking at meeting perfectionistic standards and achievement um and then with the the pursuit of excellence likely results are willingness to approach challenges um, and possible satisfaction um, and even dissatisfaction versus the perfectionist just feels overwhelmed, which can lead to procrastination right. and disappointment. Yeah. So I,
1: mean, I think that's a, not to cut you off, Rob, I think that's a really important line. And I think, you know, as a strength coach, I think what my, my goal is, is not to, not to make them chase perfectionism, is to make them fall in love, the pro, falling in love with that process that you're talking about in, in seeing that improvement and that growth, but realizing that, you know, when they come in the weight room, there's a certain standard that we're setting, right? There's a certain standard of excellence that we want to set, but you're going to come up short. And I feel like a lot of times these coaches don't let their athletes fail and, and come up short and, and understand that that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so we keep raising that bar like you're talking about and that perfectionism bar keeps going higher and higher and higher because they're afraid to fail. And I think that's a really important line that you that you brought up
3: but i th- I think too it's also uh to look at it even deeper is why are they f- afraid to f- fail so what's being what's being done right after it what what's going on like so okay, swing and miss at that moment i have I have to collect data, and right now I see as soon as this kid swings and misses and see that go by it's what's dad looking at. <laughs> What's dad saying, (laughs) you know, before he can boom? And it rather than being in the zone, being in the moment, whether it's swinging a baseball or being in life, being you know, in your flow, a lot, whatever arena you're in, but you swing and miss, you fail. What just happened? What's the data without being, you know, woe was me, or whatever the things that baseball, you know, so beautifully brings out of like, just like life, you failed, what are you going to do with it? You know? And that's where I was able to like, for me to learn with health, I failed it like with my mental health. Cause me, I was the, I was the poor little kid that threw the ball, the bat off the back of the concrete helmet and taught every poor little LDS kid around Salt Lake city, how to swear. (laughs) I was the one that taught them all how to cuss over here in Utah. So, um, I was, I was out of control, angry. you know, just because whether well, it was my parents divorce and then some of the things, so behaviorally that was hard to to get a hold of. But I was able to do it because I leaned into it. My brother didn't necessarily do it, and that's where those paths. I think where I've leaned into it and seen where my teammates may have not got the help. It manifests to where now that throws in the tenth row <laughs> rather than being able to get, stay build these mechanisms that that help me within there a processing, right. a failure, like what you were saying. Why right. did it happen? Right. Why do we do creating of those coaches that are doing like what Robin said? Right. Like, what can we do to create those? And what she described is being able to create well-defined decision makers. And if those coaches are practicing those principles that Robin's saying, you're helping a child process. I swung a miss. Okay, was that over? Was I under? Was I doing this? I'm the <clears> man. <throat> Here we go. That's that's that. Well, there's no extra thoughts of I suck, I'm the worst, I'm mm-hmm. terrible. I'm yeah. my brain, my brain will catch on to that. And if you throw some emotion behind it, I feel that mm. right, good, bad, or indifferent. That's why baseball, turn learning how to do that. Whether it's my OCD on having to find every percentage on down and away on one on one, two, two counts, and like John, it doesn't matter. Go back to this, and and fi- being able to have those checks and balances, it was huge in baseball right. to have that as a catcher to be able to do that. And I think, what Robin said, that's making well-defined decision makers on as we're correcting them in those alpha states.
1: Right, Brad. In your journey with with your writing your book, and among the players that you that you worked with, how how many of them did you did you see those tendencies to chase that perfectionism? Um, And get carried away with that that pursuit of it and become almost petrified of failure.
2: Well, it's interesting because you know, this. So today we're talking about professional athletes. And in the series, we're gonna talk about college and all different levels of athletics. The guy, you know, I I forgot the number, but it's something like, you know, 1% or 1% of 1% of player a professional baseball players make the major leagues right so right. very very few guys that get drafted and even play professionally make it to the level that John made it to so in a way I was seeing this this subsample of the overall pool of players so and and what they all had in common all 50, 14 of these players was that they made it to the highest level and right. so um, you know it's interesting in order to get to that level and to stay there uh, these guys had to be really good at what John was talking about of letting go of the, the, the inevitable and constant failure. Right. So in a way I I was working with guys that happened to be really good. Some of them just maybe through sheer, sheer force or something at at accepting the failure. Um, Some of them may have been perfectionistic and still were just so, you know good at either you know just had so talented or or had let so good at letting go that they were able to get there but i think um as i met these guys you know 30 years after they were done playing <laughs> what really surprised me was um how well adjusted they were now being older in their 60s and how much they had really ca- had come to understand um the i mean really the crux of dealing with things like ocd which is to accept your unwanted intrusive thoughts and feelings and you know not not try to block them out and deny them and so i think one of the i mean if we think about anxiety just being you know uh, fear about what could happen right one of the players, this guy, Don Carmen in the, in, in my book talked about how when he's now a a psychologist who, who works with current players. And he said that what he'll often do with those players is have them rather than, than pretend like anxiety is not there or not coming. He would, he would get them to sort of like exposure therapy, you know, imagine what it's going to feel like when the failure happens. Imagine what that's and, and expect it to happen. Like he, he describes it as telling the player to look out at the ocean and see the storm clouds coming because they're coming, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. And the more that they can, <clears throat> do that and and know that they're going to have to deal with adversity and and unwanted feelings and thoughts, the better prepared they are when that actually happens. And so, you know, I, I think that's really, you know, the crux of those that are successful, it's about um, not running away from, or denying or resisting the, the unwanted thoughts and feelings. It's letting them in, learning to accept them. And, you know, in terms of OCD, at least not doing any compulsion, that's going to try to make them go away. You know, that's your right. Right. part.
1: I mean, it, it sounds like what you're describing is, is very similar to ERP is, you know, with ERP, for those of you that don't un- know about ERP, Exposure response prevention therapy is a the the most successful therapy for uh, treatment for OCD. And what ERP is, actually, I would say Dr. Tiazio could probably uh, actually explain it better than I, but myself having done it for, for seven years now is really leaning into that fear. Whatever the obsession is, you're leaning into that fear and you're sitting with that, excruciating anxiety to, to see that, um, that you can live with it and that, and kind of accepting it. Um, Dr. Zazio, how, how many athletes have you worked with that that have found success in ERP and how do you think, uh, even in athletics and, and how do we make parents and aware of, of the kind of, uh, treatment available, for people that are struggling with the, with OCD and other anxiety of, of failure?
0: Yeah. So um, I've been specializing in treating anxiety disorders since 1999. So, you know, about 22 years. And <clears throat> it's one of those things where 22 years later, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had kept a tally of, you know, the how many people with this type of OCD and that type of OCD and um, different anxiety disorders. So I, I honestly can't keep track. Yeah. Um, in, in our program, we have approximately 32 people who come in a day for IOP level of care. So we're seeing a lot of people. Um, the one thing that I, I do want to say is that um, we have listed um, some informational, um, s- some informational information um, on the iocdf website there and i think also just kind of going back to you know seeking treatment and not letting stigma get in the way that the iocdf does have a provider database where you can put in your zip code and see if there's somebody in your your area and of course lots of people are doing virtual work in, in these days um, but i think one of one of the things that that i frequently see is that um People who come in who have and, and you know, we're talking about OCD, but again, we're really kind of talking about perfectionistic tendencies that they're not even really aware of it. And yeah. sometimes they're coming in saying, I have anxiety and I worry a lot um, and <clears throat> they might be on medications, but like no one's ever sat down with them and explained to them this is what's going on. This is why this is happening. I explain their brain chemistry um, so that they really have a strong foundation to understand that you know your OCD lives in your fear system. And that's why in that moment it feels so real that unless you do something that you are going to have, as you were saying, Tom, this horrible outcome and you're not going to be able to stand it. And so do everything that you can to avoid it and you know, when when someone really gets that foundation, they understand it. You know, ERP and and Tom and John um, and even Brad, like I, I don't have OCD, um, but it's one of the hardest things you're going to ever have to do. And but it's worth it. Sure. And so, you know, when, when you are engaging in an activity um, and again, we're talking about that athletics where you can get to a place where you're not obsessed with having to be the best and obsessed with having to, you know, perform a certain way, you can get to a place where you actually enjoy the process and, right. and, and, and I, ideally, that's what it's all about. No matter what level you're at in athletics, and I think that that's one of the things that we have to impress upon the person who has OCD and also the parents, so that they can understand that your child is not enjoying this process. They are suffering right. and right. they are miserable because they can't achieve what it is that you're encouraging them unknowingly, oftentimes to to be able to achieve, but. Internally, they they are not able to achieve that, and you know what is worse when like I mean I call it um, you know a hamster on a wheel like like you're working really 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 hard but you're just not getting anywhere, um, so you know educating and knowing that there's nothing wrong with going to therapy that no one is saying that they don't want you to do well in your athletics that you know again we want you to excel and and do the best that you can but but not to have ocd being the controller of that and that we want you to be in control of that decision making process which Tom you were referencing and, and John right. you were too.
1: Right. And I think it's important to note um you know I see Sarah Fernandez saying that she she liked how you mentioned that it's good to have an explanation of what's going on. And I think as much as we we can is is really about the education of mm-hmm. of especially the parents um you know as John was saying before is the kid swinging and when he finishes his swing, he's looking at his dad. Um, you know, the expectation of parents can really shape how a youth athlete's career kind of wh- how, how it goes, you know, what, what is their influence on John? What have you seen as, as their influence um, well, I, on that players?
3: And that, well, that's kind of, it's, it's made my, after having a professional career and, and dealing with those stresses at the highest level, right. right and seeing them, micromanage like i would like i didn't have ocd but i had anxiety things and my brain would ocd-ish on things right i never really got that but i saw those things those tendencies in my brain where i leaned into them where i did i get a diagnosis i I don't know i you know i never waited around because it was but having having leaned into that it helped me where I I wasn't even necessarily diagnosed, but it maybe it became it because it I got tools to where I was able to stop it. But what also having seeing the youth now, right, with my own life now seeing the youth hearing what it's talking about, having the knowledge mm-hmm. and also the the coaching knowledge I have now when I'm seeing because as a catcher I control the energy I can feel that catch mm-hmm. the hitter I can feel the pitcher like. But I can also feel these children the same way. I can see the kid cracking his knuckles, mm-hmm. like uh, taking the deep breaths. And some of the things that I'm like, oh, that child is having an, an episode right now. And, and it's fun because I can go up there in the manner that I talk to them mm-hmm. and the way that I can slow their brain down. So I'm aware of that. And, it, and, and it's sad because some of the parents are not aware of this. Mm-hmm. I'm making them aware of them during these games that are so locked into them getting this hit. I'm like, Hey, did you see little Johnny step out three times and take those, the breasts or, or those things that I'm, my eyes, cause I'm not watching the same thing. These other parents and coaches yeah. are watching. Yeah. I'm, I'm very fascinated on this. Cause I feel like you're operating in a wavelength that you said it breeds this. And, and if parents were educated to be like, Hey, like yesterday I had like a kid struck out had been having a hard time coming to it. i was like dude like you know how many pitches you saw just my overall feet he, he was responding off the feeling of what he's feeling right now because all this energy just punched out i'm like dude that was an eight pitch at bat he had made contact last three at bats and he smoked two down the thing he smoked <laughs> one down to me started made his brain that way i could see the kid like physically changed because of his thought process. And if parents were aware that they were doing that, the reverse effect, I've, I feel it's tools that they could have. Because then whether you're an athlete trying to be a well-defined decision maker or a, or a child with OCD with those signs, then it's really pivotal. Because I I feel like those, Doc, you can probably echo this, when you're on those brave lines, that's what's lasting memories. That's what creates the yips is the throwaway which creates the the spider phobia or whatever you said tom that you create those types of therapies with that you end up having that relationship and having that with the parents to understand that that's what's going on in those situations that fear of failure whatever if they could aid to that and where you said a treatment i don't think it's a treatment it has to be a lifestyle mm-hmm. right brad mm-hmm. we talked about that. this is a lifestyle that you're. it's not an advantage this is like yeah.
2: something that Robin brought up. Um, then, so I with my OCD, um, I went and saw I went to the OCD Center of Los Angeles back in 2005 and saw uh, Tom Corboy, therapist there, did great work with me doing exposure therapy. And um, one of the most useful things that he told me early on in my treatment was just this. And I think this can go so far in terms of educating, like we're talking about, educating parents and so forth is just a simple difference between your thoughts and your feelings and your behavior Mm. that that just breaking it down like that. And sort of that metacognitive approach that Robin was alluding to with making people aware of what their brain does, the physiology, their own thought processes, realizing that they are not their OCD. They are not their brain. (laughs) And, And for me, um, you know, j- just just putting that label on it, and and you think about different sports. I mean, baseball in particular. There's so much downtime. There's so much opportunity to think. Mm-hmm. Right? I think a lot of baseball players, especially when they're young, may not even realize they over. they I mean, they overvalue their thoughts. If they start getting, they start spinning uh, these mental compulsions about what they're doing. Right? They're giving the, those thoughts way too much energy and n- not realizing that all those thoughts and feelings are natural and they're fine. The existence of them is fine. How you respond to them is what makes the difference. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, baseball is a game about like every sport, it's about action behavior, you know, ultimately your, your behavior, your action on the field determines the outcome of the game. So if you can put the emphasis on the behavior and the action uh, and, and de-emphasize the importance of the thoughts and the feelings, in the sense that you know how to respond to them in a way that's going to maximize your your behavior. You know that to me is the key. And so, the more we can teach parents and young people that, like, you know, it's natural to have these intrusive thoughts and these anxiety-provoking thoughts, uh, the more I think will help them not be a prisoner to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh,
3: so I, I, and I think, too, is, is uh, learning the process. Brad, where you said um, the, that therapy where you go, you see yourself in that moment. Uh, I had, I, I guess, a way of that. I did it with Tim Cousins, a catching coach, that I had it when I was going through this. Because we literally went out into the mound, and I practiced as silly as I'm a professional. I was an all-star catcher. <laughs> I'm out there at early work, practicing throwing the ball back to the pitcher, and, and and experiencing that like feeling it, like and I and I the funny thing is I never threw one away, you know I never had one where like Chuck had an experience, I was never had that one so that's and it, but it was right around the All Star game, right before I had an in, head injury. Um, is there things that? head injuries and things that you've, you've found, doc, that may induce more of those behaviors, Brad, and, and that you would have or head injuries that can induce that type of I, behavior type I do things? Know, things I know,
2: Robin, you know anything about that? But it's not, not really my area.
0: Um, it's not really my area either, but I've definitely seen people who have had head, head injuries who have actually developed OCD um, symptoms after the head injury when they, purportedly didn't have them before but it's it's that's usually out of my scope of practice when we're dealing with with kind of um those issues
1: i think it's important important to note just that you know with ocd you're either you know if you can't be a little ocd you know you have obsessive compulsive disorder you're diagnosed um or you're undiagnosed but you have ocd and we understand here how debilitating it is and that's the stigma that we're trying to break is that it doesn't help, like like John was saying, that it has to be a, that that lifestyle of of accepting the OCD and and just having to live with it doesn't help your career. You know, it's it's uh, the ERP and the, and that piece is so important. I know for me personally, ERP saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a place where I was doing twelve to fourteen hours of compulsions a day. You know, that leaves ten hours a day of sleep school my athletic career and anything else I wanted to fit in ten hours a day so write them there that that shows how much OCD can take away from us and how how little it leaves us to right it attacks everything we love and cherish and um, you know I think that's one one important thing to note is that it doesn't it doesn't leave any stone unturned right it, it attacks everything we love and um I think one thing we need to recognize is that it's still misunderstood by so many coaches and so many organizations um, and so many parents. And that's that's what we're trying to do here is really educate, you know, the future generation now about what OCD is. So then, you know, 20 years from now, we have that knowledge and we, we can put people in places like like your treatment center um, and and, and put, have treatment available for for these athletes that are actually struggling and i think you know what i really look, would love to see is is having colleges have those psychologists mm-hmm. and having seeing those organizations those professional organizations keep adding mental performance staffs and and licensed professionals because we're seeing right now how 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 vital it is especially with the covid pandemic of how how many athletes regressed mentally and not just physically and i think it's starting you know that that Uprising is is starting of of oh we need to we need to pay more attention to this but it's still not enough. Um, I wanna quickly, uh, Stephanie asked, "Can you talk about the brain's role in OCD, um, Doc? If you want to kind of touch on this a little bit, um, I think that would be kind of your area of expertise."
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know. Basically, as I mentioned, when people come in, not just for OCD, but for anxiety disorders, I I walk all of them through the brain chemistry because so many people come in, you know, we're talking about OCD and athletes, but as, you know, as, as many of us know, OCD can manifest in so many ways. And so people are really beating themselves up. What's wrong with me? Why can't I stop this thought? Why can't I control this? Um, without realizing that it's not about trying to control the thoughts. It's about allowing the thoughts to come in and actually not attend to them. Um, and the more that you try to control them, the less control you're going to have, because trying to think about not controlling them means that you have to keep thinking about trying not to control them. Um, so there's that, that, that rabbit hole again. Um, but essentially what I kind of tell people is, look, everybody has anxiety. OK, it's the human condition. It keeps us safe in the world. So if you're on the freeway, you start veering over to the side of the road. Immediately, your sympathetic nervous system starts alerting you that there's danger, and you need to take action right. to be safe.
1: That fight or flight. Uh, that fight or flight. Uh, yes. Sense, and yeah. So- for sure.
0: And so when we get anxious, um, there's actually a center of our brain called the amygdala that gets activated. It shoots a signal down to our sympathetic nervous system saying, oh my gosh, danger, do something. And so the person will either, as you said, uh, Tom, fight or flight. Um, Well, what I explain to people, and I'm doing a super condensed version here, um, but essentially what I explain is OCD, lives in that same system that keeps a person safe in the real world. And that's why when OCD is activating, it feels real to the person. And if I don't perform in this way, if I don't do this in a certain way, it is going to be so catastrophic. And so, Essentially, it's the compulsions, the behaviors, the twelve to fourteen hours a day that Tom, you were engaging these compulsions that actually makes it worse because you know, gosh, if I can do, you know, if I can hit the ball, um, you know, and and baseball is not my thing, uh, John, so I'm probably okay, I can't that
3: tell, I can't side. tell, you're perfect, <laughs> <laughs>
0: but um, you know, if I don't hit the ball a certain amount of times. Um, a certain distance, then that means that I'm less than. So I'm going to try harder and I'm going to try harder and I'm going to try harder. And as you get more tired, you start to perform worse. And so you try even harder and harder and harder. And, And so that's really where the person becomes so miserable and so unhappy is because as they're trying harder, they're actually oftentimes doing even worse. Um, And so, you know, basically, when I say everybody has anxiety, I want to be really clear, everybody doesn't have OCD. But if you understand that OCD lives in that same anxiety cycle, then one can understand that that's why in that moment, it feels so real that you need to do these things in order to perform uh, in a certain way. And I think, once people understand that, it really validates why they are struggling so much. And one more thing that I just want to say um, is that I I think also what happens is um, athletes tend to um, sort of hang their image on their role as an athlete and how well they perform. And they forget that there are other parts to them. You know, they might be a father, a brother, a sister, um, a homemaker, um, a web designer, um, whatever it is. But as human beings, there are so many different parts to us. And, you know, some of the work that we do with people with OCD is really use their values to drive doing the ERP because it's not just about, You know, you being an athlete, as it is, you are really embracing all the other values in your life and all the other roles that you have, and being able to create that balance in your life so that you you have though that that fulfillment as a human being. And I think that's one thing that that really sometimes can get missed. And last thing that I want to say, just in terms of people seeking treatment. Um, You know, I agree with you, Tom, that I think it's just so important to have, um, you know, not only coaches who are educated, um, but also professionals that athletes in colleges or high schools can see, but it's so important that they are educated in ERP because, you know, Brad, I'm sure you see this all the time, but know we have so many people that have been in years of therapy talk therapy psychotherapy they've tried emdr they've tried brain spotting and i'm like how did they not get to to erp like how how did they try everything else and sometimes i think it's because it's like oh i don't like that erp thing try everything else and see if it works um but i think as professionals it is our responsibility to recognize when what our limitations are and what we have training in and not try to help people um, who we don't have that training in. And so, you know, part of this, this series, part of everything that the IOCDF does is, is really promoting that in awareness. Like, you know, I think with depression, there are different treatment modalities that a person can use. There's not just one single one, but at the end of the day, OCD is ERP. Yeah. Don't, don't try something else. It's not going to work. And it's going to perpetuate feelings of anxiety, depression, hopelessness. And, you know, for some even suicidality, thinking that, you know what, I'm never going to be able to get to that place that I need to be. And, you know, why live kind of thing.
1: Right. And I think, you know, especially I, I the talk therapy thing for OCD is very, I like that you brought that up. Um, Robin, because I know myself personally, I went through three different Ooh. licensed professionals that didn't that said they treated O C D, but in reality they weren't they didn't specialize in ERP. They didn't actually know how to how to put me through a, a CBT session. Yeah. And I, so
2: I had, I had a therapist who told me every time I had an uh, intrusive unwanted thought to to slap my wrist with a rubber band. Right. Oh, and you yeah. know, like
1: things oh. like that where it's like we're so close, but yet we're still we're still not there. Like we still have a ways to yeah. go with, with the fact that we need to make sure that people know which which treatment that they need to they need to seek out. And for me, I I was suicidal, and I, I was at the point where I didn't want to live anymore because the OCD had taken those fourteen hours a day from me, and because I was living in that that fight or flight every day. People were asking, me, I looked drained. I had dark circles under my eyes. People were asking me, like, why do you look so tired? Well, because I'm living in a, in a, in a world where my, you know, my fight or flight never turns off. It's, it's constantly going. I'm, I'm emotionally drained. I'm physically drained. And it's just important to, to recognize that you may have to go through a few therapists before you find the right one. But when we're looking for treatment, ERP really is, is the, the treatment we want to look for. Um, and I think that's a point throughout this series that, you know, we'll have different athletes on and different people on that they're going to share their experiences with ERP. And it really is the, the best way to, to combat the the OCD. Uh, As far as questions goes, um, please, we still have about a little over 10 minutes left. Um, Love to hear from you and, and keep asking questions John, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your kind of the depths of your career and how how these uh, obsessions, compulsions, um, and that anxiety festered throughout your career. and And when was kind of your breaking point of realizing that um, you needed to seek help from the team, the team psychologist, or um, needed to kind mm-hmm. of dive deeper into into what you were dealing with?
3: Well, well as soon as it became, like you said, those. Uh, those hours spent in the day of my brain thought press of of going behind the plate. Like what's it going to feel like when I throw back to the mound and that anxiety of all day long, all the way up until that first pitch of the game. And then it would be like, Oh, okay, I can do this. And then I'd play a major league game and then the crash afterwards. And then I'd be so exhausted. And then, it would start up again. I remember in St. Louis, I went three days in a two two days with a little bit of nap on the third day because we had a day game and I finally just fell asleep. Had my bags packed, fell asleep for two hours, and then went and hit a double. I had my my aunts that were nuns there, so they had to, they were they were had <laughs> the had a couple extra prayers for me called in because it wasn't I I barely remember because lack of sleep. You know, just because the inside, that's when I was like, all right, hey, heads up. I, I got something going on over here. Right. Kind of leaned into it and, and, and was able to have those things because I was having this obsessive compulsive behavior that led, to, like I said, never threw it away. But my brain was attached to it in the same way that I would, uh, like Robin talked about, being able to <laughs> thought management of going from each arena of my life. Mm-hmm. Up and then to the game and each arena of thought process, a defense to offense to where I was just reactionary through back and I and it kind of worked its way out. It was like playing, learning how to play the game over again, but at a very sophisticated level, obviously, because I could get away with doing my little anxiety toss. But learning how to live with that was was a a whole game of itself too, where I habitually thought about it. So right, right. Um, it it was able to these things that you guys talk of, these exercises, these things are are what helped pulled me out of it and, and mm. became a tool that I could see on behaviors of players, or now as a dad in a little league and doing some stuff with perfect game and, and the youth baseball around here is I'm I'm you hear people say, Oh, these these kids are different nowadays. The parents are, aren't the same, or these coaches are different. Well, it's like, yeah, we're all different. It's all, right. it's, it, the, right. we're, the world is weird right now. And the last thing we need to do is to be screaming at these kids in a moment. They need to have some enjoyment in their life, not more stress at the most alpha state of your brain. I think hey, uh, John,
2: John, do you think that, that the baseball culture <laughs> is getting to be more open to you know, having more mental health professionals and coaches and and because i know like the guys that i wrote about who played in the 70s and 80s like that was just not part of it right
3: no uh, yeah the fact that i i mean i've I've talked to a couple people just in my doing saying i was going to be talking about it and they're like are you talking about like your little yips thing that you had (laughs) <laughs> and I was, that's it, that big of a faux pas not to talk about it because it's associated with this anxiety and this stuff, right? right. Don't bring attention to it because it's like a the plague, you know. Don't mention of this anxiety you talk about <laughs> of throwing the ball, you know, because it was like something that you would catch. And then uh, <laughs> to to be able to be seen looking at the psychiatrist or the mental coach, it was it was, you know, You didn't want you're going into an arbitration year, you know, so I don't want to know if if I'm having some anxiety issues. I don't want them to know. It could be millions of dollars. So I'm not going to go talk to them. So I think they're doing a better job of sourcing that that mental coach, that um, psychiatrist with a mental coach, a performance coach to help deal with your thoughts, which I, I think that will help. Uh, maybe flag some OCD beforehand because it's, it's something like you said, Tom. You got to lean into it. You got to yeah, be able to face sure. it because it's a thing. And to really to swallow it, however degree it is, as an athlete, that's hard to do. Because we're yeah. like we're full of egos over here as athletes. <laughs> you know? And we the good,
2: good thing with OCD, I think, is that is that you can have remarkably quick results when you do correct. the. Experience. Therapy, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's really fast turn. I mean, I in three or four months, that my my turnaround was amazing, and mm-hmm. right. that's one of the upshots I think of treating OCD versus maybe some other anxiety disorders.
3: What do you what do you think that is, Robin? Brad, do you think for me when I was like when I'd go out there and get comfortable in each stadium, it was like I'm not gonna die. I can't throw the ball back. I'm good. It was like you know what I mean in each stadium. And every city I went into, and it almost became, I'd go do that form of that type, you know, CRP therapy, whatever you call it, right? And, and where i go live it and feel and be in the moment of that fear until it was like, okay, worst part of my day. And then, like I said, all right, here we go. But my thought process all day long was was always the challenge.
0: Okay. Well, you're you're essentially sort of rewiring the brain, is what you're doing. So when you start doing something differently repeatedly, that the brain gets used to it, and then it's just it it becomes automatic. Um, and so I, I'm just so glad to hear you say that. And I again just really want to thank you for sharing and being vulnerable because you know we can talk as professionals about how this treatment works that when you have someone, you know, who is living and three yeah. <laughs> of you um, essentially like there's, there's no better testimony. Um, you know, we have the research that supports it changes the brain chemistry. We have the research um, you know, for those of you who are listening, um, you know, ERP is, is evidence-based. Um, meaning that we can literally prove scientifically that that the exposure therapy changes the brain chemistry, and there's there's no other treatment out there that does that. And so you know, there there's only one good thing about OCD, and that is that it's treatable. But that right. is right. you know that that is it. Um, and you know, again, I think we're all trying to really um, you know send this message uh, that you know, th- there's, there's nothing good about embracing OCD about something good in your life. If you're going to embrace OCD, embrace it as something that you accept, that it's a part of you. It's not who you are as a person and that it is, um, treatable. Right. So, um, you know, I, just- I think
1: that not to cut you off for you, uh, Robin, I, I think one thing that you've touched on as well as identity and, uh, a lot of athletes kind of after their sport, after they're done, kind of not knowing what their identity is. And I felt that with OCD is after treatment, having that having that trouble with with who I am because I lost so much time in treatment and, and not knowing who I am. And I think that was uh, something that we all kind of struggle with when we after we go through treatment is now, you know, I'm gonna have this for the rest of my life, but I'm at a point where it's, I can do maintenance work and kind of, and live with it and live a, a meaningful life. But what is that meaningful life going to entail? And that was kind of one of the things that I struggled with was who am I? Um, and I think that's kind of a leeway into what one of the questions down there is, You know, what are some evidence-based treatment strategies that coaches can imp- implement in their practice and games? And like you said, obviously coaches aren't certified uh, or licensed professionals that can provide ERP. But what coaches can do is just listen and and, and start the conversation. <clears throat> Maybe this isn't evidence based. That start being open can can influence at their athletes to seek help. But I can I can tell you that if if you're you as a coach are are shaming mental health and and putting it on the back burner your athletes are way less likely to, to, to seek treatment or seek any sort of help because of that shame and guilt you're building in your organization, and your program. You know, I think one thing that I've taken with me every stop where I go as a, as a strength coach is that the weight room is not just character revealing, it's character building. You know, when we come in here, we're building our identity and, and we have an open policy of like, I want you to be yourself. I don't want you to be someone – that that everybody else expects you to be. I want you to be yourself and be open and honest about about who you are and learn about yourself. And while you learn through that process of of competing and and training and falling in love with that process, I want you to learn about yourself too and build that character. And I think you know the more so more we can as a as an athletics unit, um, coaches, athletic trainers, administration. Um, and other athletes show that mental health should be accepted and should be a real, uh, talked about topic, the more so that we'll, will decrease that's that stigma and that guilt of, Oh, my coach might think less of me if I seek treatment. And now we have treatment available and now we have people trying to meet that treatment. And within that combination, now we can start helping people more.
3: And then as an athlete, get back on the field quicker. Right, right,
1: <laughs> right, exactly. And, uh, know,
3: and, and and correctly with the right tools, I think. Right, to, right, exactly. Deal with know, what there's a difference really between
1: happened. being on the field, as you know, John, and, and being on the field and president in the moment and Correct. enjoying your sport and competing at the highest level uh, that you know you're willing, uh, that you're, you know you're able to compete at because you've worked for that moment your whole life.
3: And, and I think it's it's about being sustainable, um, having mm-hmm. a well, well-defined well goals in each arena of your life, I think is is like what Robin said is reducing those thoughts in each arena of your life helps you reduce anxiety in all arenas, which helps you perform at peak Mm -hmm. performance in the zone. When you go to do that main arena, AKA baseball, in my case, throwing a ball back to a pitcher. And, and when you're able to have that process to control your thoughts, you can be in the zone. You can attract the zone. You can be in, those moments where you can be at your absolute human best and that's what we want to track. It feels good. We're not living in the future. We're not living in the past and we're attracting the zone and, and as athletes, that's what we want. And then yeah. also trying to avoid the anxiety and obs- obsessions of things of living in the future of the past. It's feeling that moment of being in the moment and attracting that. And I think those are things that I've c- come through from the likes of help with people like Robin. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Can, at when I was in the plane, that it, it, it I was able to catch that because before it became big because of the things I saw manifest with my brother and my mom, I attacked that mental health and took it seriously. And sure. and luckily, uh, I, I'm a good I'm a good story. Uh, unfortunately yeah. for me,
1: um, just want to quickly I saw some comments about uh, body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorders. We will cover that in if in one of the future discussions on one of the, about, I think it's the fifth or sixth episode that we'll have in the summer. Um, We'll have Chris Johnson on who specializes in DDD. So we will talk about that um, and get to that topic. Um, Full schedule is on.
0: Tom, can I just interrupt real quick? Yeah, Um, absolutely. It it sounded like there was a mom that was asking about Um, her daughter that has OCD and has now developed an eating disorder. I just want to quickly address that because um, for this mom, I would strongly recommend that you have your daughter evaluated for treatment for an Mm -hmm. eating disorder because um, OCD is behaviorally activating and it produces anxiety because you're confronting your fear that takes a lot of energy so if you have someone who has an eating disorder and perhaps is not getting enough caloric intake it's it's really hard to do erp just with the caloric intake Um, right. so, so from our perspective, if somebody comes in with both, we have the eating disorder treated first and once that's stabilized, then we work on the OCD. So I just wanted to address no, that. No, That's
1: question. great. That's great information. And that's something that, you know, as a professional, you would know, and I'm, I'm glad you shared that because that's really important and you're right with, that, even with the caloric intake, ad- adequate caloric intake, it's draining. So I can't even imagine what, what her daughter is going through, okay. um, you know, so Just some announcements. We do have some great programming this week. The Faith and Mental Health Conference. Um, You can register online. It's free. Um, Take our Anxiety and Athletes survey. It is on our our, on our website that will be um, announced very shortly. Anxietyandathletes.org. And as always, join the the Peace of Mind Virtual Community at IOCDF.org. Slash peace of mind. You can view the whole live stream schedule. Um, Chris Johnson has a new spe- uh, new series going on called Chris's Corner. It's excellent. Definitely suggest uh, looking into it. And uh, we were happy to have you you three as guests. This was phenomenal. And you know, I'm looking forward to to continuing this conversation about about mental health stigma in, in athletics.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. And Brad, thanks for, I'm I'm glad I was able to rub elbows with you to come amongst Mm -hmm. these uh, well-learned people of yours.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
2: Thank you, guys.
3: Take Take care, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate it.